Good morning to each one. I extend Christian greetings to you this morning. It is good to be with you this morning and worship the Lord together this morning. For the message this morning, I want to look at this thing of unbelief. We're going to be looking at some instances of unbelief. Belief is, believing is tied to salvation. I want us to think about maybe the quote in Scripture. It says, Lord, I believe. Help thou mine unbelief. It's the acknowledgement of our inadequacy that allows God to work in our lives. We know what the Bible says. And we do take... We do trust God to take care of and direct our lives. But sometimes we're faced with some things that seem to power our faith. We don't seem to have enough faith to follow him in that moment. So we ask for more faith, a deeper faith. And we acknowledge that even our faith comes from God. It is his work in our lives that enables us to believe and obey. Mark tells us in Mark 6 that Jesus marveled because of their unbelief. Then in Mark 9, 23, we have the story of a man whose son had a dumb spirit. Jesus said unto him, If thou canst believe, all things are possible to him that believeth. And straightway the father of the child cried out and said with tears, Lord, I believe, help thou mine unbelief. So the father said, Lord, he said he believed, yet he acknowledged his need for a deeper faith. I believe, but help my unbelief. Is that ever your experience? God can do powerful things in our lives and through us by the power of his Holy Spirit. As we acknowledge our inadequacy and allow God to work on those areas of our lives, that we may struggle to give over to him and trust him to a deeper level of faith. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 12 for the sermon text this morning. Matthew chapter 12, we start in verse 38. <clears throat> then certain of the scribes and of the Pharisees answered, saying, Master, we would see a sign from thee, but he answered and said unto them, An evil and an adulterous generation seeketh after a sign, and there shall be no sign, and there shall no sign be given to it, but the sign of the prophet Jonas. For as Jonas was three days and three nights in the whale's belly, so shall the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The men of Nineveh shall rise in judgment with this generation, and shall condemn it, because they repented at the preaching of Jonas. And behold, a greater than Jonah is here. The queen of the south shall rise up in the judgment with this generation and shall condemn it. For she came from the uttermost parts of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon. And behold, a greater than Solomon is here. When the unclean spirit is gone out of a man, he walketh through dry places seeing rest and findeth none. Then he saith, I will return into my house from whence I came out. And when he is come, he findeth it empty, swept, and garnished. Then goeth he, and taketh with himself seven other spirits, more wicked than himself. And they enter in and dwell there. 
and the last state of that man is worse than the first. Even so shall it be also unto this wicked generation. While he yet talked to the people, behold, his mother and his brethren stood without, desiring to speak with him. Then one said unto him, Behold, thy mother and thy brethren stand without, desiring to speak with thee. But he answered and said unto him that told him, Who is my mother and who are my brethren? And he stretched forth his hand toward his disciples and said, Behold, my mother and my brethren, for whosoever shall do the will of my Father which is in heaven, the same as my brother and sister and mother. So this passage begins with the religious leaders, the Pharisees and teachers of the law, approaching Jesus and asking him to give them some sign, some kind of a miraculous sign that they can hang on to or get excited about. The Jewish people were people who looked for signs. They wanted to see something special. Paul made mention to this in 1 Corinthians. Paul, being a Jew himself, writes in 1 Corinthians 1.22, he says, For Jews request a sign, and Greeks seek after wisdom. There was a characteristics of the Jews that they wanted they want to see signs, while the Greeks sought after wisdom. As it relates to these Jewish leaders wanting to see a sign, Jesus had been performing many miracles, many miraculous signs in front of them, and for quite some time. They had experienced and seen supernatural events. These were the same people that Jesus brought a crippled man to who had a withered hand to bring him to the front of the synagogue just to see if Jesus would actually heal him on the Sabbath day. Then when he did, they became angry and decided that this man needed to die. These were the same men who watched as Jesus delivered person after person from demonic possession, who couldn't deny that something was going on. Then they tried to explain it away by telling people that Jesus was in with Satan. And that is how he was doing what he was in these miracles. They had seen lots of miracles and still they refused that Jesus was who he said that he was. What sounded like possibly an okay request on their part or at least on the surface, by wanting a sign, it is unbelief. Jesus saw what was behind the request, and he confronts them for it. He said, it is wickedness and spiritual adultery. It is unfaithfulness for you to come to me and ask for a supernatural sign, when the fact is that I've been doing them right in front of you, and you have refused to believe. And to further prove his point, Jesus tells them, I will give you a sign. Even though he told them they were wicked and adulterous, to ask for a sign, he did accommodate them. But maybe not in the way that they wanted. Verse 39, an evil and adulterous generation seeks after a sign, and no sign will be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. 
He did give them the sign of the prophet Jonah. Just as Jonah was in the whale's belly for three days and three nights, the Son of Man will be in the earth. Three days and three nights. Here he is using poetic language, meaning that he, Jesus, would be in the grave for three days and three nights. Even when he told them to expect it, they were forewarned that he was going to do this, and they still didn't believe. Had they truly been sincere about their desire to know who he was, had they truly investigated the word of God and studied the things about him, they would have recognized him for who he was. The fact is they did not want to believe. They were not asking because they wanted to believe. I don't believe Jesus is condemning them for requesting a sign. He is condemning their unbelief. And what is underlying their request is their unbelief. They're not asking because they desired to know or wanted to believe. Even though they come to Jesus and say they would like a sign, they don't. All they have done in the past is explain away the miracles that Jesus did right in front of them. Unbelief doesn't seek truth. It avoids it at all cost. Then Jesus goes on and gives some Old Testament examples of something important that he wants them to see in contrast. Verse 41, the men of Nineveh will rise up in the judgment with this generation and condemn it because they repented at the preaching of Jonah. And indeed, a greater than Jonah is here. He brings up this example after just talking about the sign of Jonah that he was going to fulfill. Nineveh was a huge city. Jonah, being a Jew, was told to go to Nineveh and preach to the city. God came to him one day and said, I want you to go to Nineveh and preach. I want you to preach to that city and tell the people of Nineveh that if they don't repent of their sin, I'm going to destroy the city. You know the story. Jonah didn't want to go. Jonah hated, hated the Ninevites. He despised them. They were a threat to Israel. They were pagans. They were involved in paganistic religious worship. They were filthy. They were immoral. Jonah had nothing to do with these people. Jonah did not want to go to preach to the people of Nineveh. Jonah was concerned that they would repent, that they might respond to the preaching. This was the worst thing he could imagine. What are we going to do if the Ninevites repent? They wanted them destroyed. So Jonah boards a ship at Joppa and heads for Tarshish to run from the Lord. The Lord sends a great wind on the sea. The sailors cast lots to find out who was responsible for this calamity. The lot falls on Jonah. Let's turn to Jonah.
Jonah 1 verse 8. So they asked him, responsible for making all this trouble to us, reading in the NIV. What do you do? Where do you come from? What is your country? From what people are you? And he answers, I'm a Hebrew and I worship the Lord, the God of heaven who made the sea and the land. This terrified them and they asked, what have you done? They knew that he was running from the Lord because he had already told them so. The sea was getting rougher and rougher, so they asked him, what should we do to you to make the sea calm down for us? He said, pick me up and throw me into the sea, he replied, and it will be calm. It will become calm. I know that it is my fault that this great storm has come upon you. Instead, the men did their best to row back to land, but they could not, for the sea grew even wilder than before. Then they cried to the Lord, O Lord, please do not let us die for taking this man's life. Do not hold us accountable for killing an innocent man, for you, O Lord, have done as you pleased. Then they took Jonah and threw him overboard, and the raging sea grew calm. At this, the men greatly feared the Lord, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows to him. But the Lord provided a great fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was inside the fish three days and three nights. Then while inside the fish, Jonah cries out to God. The Lord then commands the fish to spit Jonah out on dry land. In chapter 3, we see the word of the Lord coming to Jonah the second time. Where it says, go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim it to the message I give you. Jonah finally ends up going to Nineveh. He walks through the city preaching a message of repentance. Where he says, repent for God is going to destroy this place. Jonah chapter 3 verse 3. Jonah obeyed the word of the Lord and went to Nineveh. He proclaimed, 40 more days and Nineveh will be overturned. The Ninevites believed God. They declared a fast and all of them, from the greatest to the least, put on sackcloth. When the news reached the king of Nineveh, he rose from his throne, took off his royal robes, covered himself with sackcloth and sat down in the dust. Then he issued a proclamation in Nineveh. By the decree of the king and his nobles, do not let any man or beast, herd or flock, taste anything, and do not let them eat or drink, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth. Let everyone call urgently on God. Let them give up their evil ways and their violence. Who knows, God may yet relent and with compassion turn from his fierce anger so that we will not perish. When God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, he had compassion and did not bring upon them the destruction he had threatened. So he goes through the entire city, and they respond from the king down to the lowest person, the Bible tells us. The Ninevites believed God. There were no signs or wonders related to Jonah's preaching. Remember, Jonah hated these people. And he simply walks through the city and says, Repent, or God's going to destroy this place. And he did that for days. Not one sign. Not one miracle associated with that preaching. And it says the entire city repented in sackcloth. And they humbled themselves before God. Matthew 12, Jesus said, A greater than Jonah is here among you. 
Not only have you seen the miracles, but you also saw miracle after miracle. You saw healing after healing. You saw deliverance after deliverance. Not only is it just a prophet who is among you, it is the son of the living God who said to you, repent, and you have refused. The men of Nineveh who needed no miracles, who literally responded to an angry prophet, will stand up at the judgment and condemn you for your hardness of heart, for your refusal to believe the truth. Next he talks about the woman he calls the Queen of the South. Verse 42, we know her as the Queen of Sheba. During the reign of King Solomon was the man who prayed. Solomon laid out his heart before God. God was pleased with his prayer and he said, listen, I'm going to give you anything you want. How would you like that? Eternal God says, I will give you whatever you want. Turn with me to 1 Kings chapter 3. I want to read about Solomon's request. First Kings chapter 3, verses 5 to 12. We read about Solomon's request. Verse 5 says, In Gibeon the Lord appeared to Solomon in a dream by night. And God said, Ask what I shall give thee. And Solomon said, Thou hast showed unto thy servant David, my father, great mercy, according as he walked before thee in truth, and in righteousness, and in uprightness of heart with thee. And thou hast kept for him this great kindness, that thou hast given him a son to sit on his throne, as it is this day. And now, O Lord my God, thou hast made thy servant king instead of David my father, and I am but a little child. I know not how to go out or come in. And thy servant is in the midst of thy people, which thou hast chosen a great people that cannot be numbered nor counted for multitude. Give therefore thy servant an understanding heart to judge thy people, that I may discern between good and bad. For who is able to judge this, thy so great a people? And the speech pleased the Lord that Solomon had asked this thing. And God said unto him, Because thou hast asked this thing, and hast not asked for thyself long life, neither hast asked riches for thyself, nor hast asked the life of thine enemies, but hast asked for thyself understanding to discern judgment. Behold, I have done according to thy words. Lo, I have given thee a wise and an understanding heart, so that there was none like thee before thee, neither after thee, shall any rise like unto thee. God was pleased that Solomon asked for wisdom. He didn't ask for riches or long life. God said, I'm going to give you wisdom, that there shall never be born on this earth, another person except Jesus Christ himself, who is God in human flesh, who will be wiser than you. The wisdom of Solomon was a powerful thing. And it had become known far and wide. And it has even reached this queen of the south. It had reached Sheba. The queen of Sheba had heard about it. She had heard about the wisdom of Solomon. I don't know how far it was, but she made this journey to come and hear his wisdom. Verse 42, The queen of the south will rise up in the judgment with this generation and condemn it. For she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon. 
And indeed, a greater than Solomon's here. A greater than Solomon is here. She had heard about this man who was given wisdom from God. And her passion to know drove her to make this journey. Turn with me to 1 Kings chapter 10, where we have the account of the Queen of Sheba. I'm going to read verses 1 to 13. 1 Kings 10. And when the Queen of Sheba heard of the fame of Solomon concerning the name of the Lord, she came to prove him with hard questions. And she came to Jerusalem with a very great train, with camels that bear spices, and very much gold and precious stones. And when she was come to Solomon, she communed with him of all that was in her heart. And Solomon told her all her questions. There was not anything hid from the king which he told her not. And when the queen of Sheba had seen all Solomon's wisdom and the house that he had built and the meat of his table and the sitting of his servants and the attendance of his ministers and their apparel and his cupbearers and his ascent by which he went up into the house of the Lord, there was no more spirit in her. It was a true report that I heard in mine own land of thy acts and of thy wisdom. Howbeit I believed not the words until I came. And mine eyes had seen it, and behold, the half was not told me. Thy wisdom and prosperity exceedeth the fame which I heard. Happy are thy men. Happy are these thy servants which stand continually before thee, and that hear thy wisdom. Blessed be the Lord thy God, which delighteth in thee to set thee on the throne of Israel. Because the Lord loved Israel forever, therefore he made thee king to do judgment and justice. And she gave the king an hundred and twenty talents of gold, and of spices very great store, and precious stones there came no more such abundance of spices as these which the queen of Sheba gave to King Solomon. And the navy also of Hiram that brought gold from Ophir, brought in from Ophir great plenty of almug trees and precious stones. And the king made of the almug trees pillars for the house of the Lord, and for the king's house harps also, and psalteries for singers. There came no such almug trees, nor were seen unto this day. And King Solomon gave unto the queen of Sheba all her desire, whatsoever she asked, beside that which Solomon gave her of his royal bounty. So she turned and went to her own country, she and her servants." So there we have the story of the Queen of Sheba. Jesus said this kind of passion that the Queen of Sheba displayed in her desire to know the wisdom of God. She had heard that it was given to this man Solomon. It stands in contrast to the unwillingness of these people to even to get into the word of God. These Jews had the word right in front of them. They had the prophecies about the coming Messiah. If they would have judged these things, they would have known that Jesus was who he said he was. They didn't look into it because they didn't care. A total lack of desire, no passion on their part, unbelief. If you remember when they had their discussion among the Sanhedrin, they were talking about whether to condemn Jesus to death or to get the Romans involved. And a couple of the Pharisees spoke up on behalf of Jesus and asked, 
Is it our custom to condemn a man without, our tri without a trial? Their response was, investigate for yourselves. Do any prophets come out of Galilee? They were saying our prophetic writings don't say anything about a prophet coming out of Galilee. They just assumed that Jesus was born and raised in Galilee. Had they asked Jesus where he was born, they would have learned that he came from Bethlehem. See the contrast that Jesus is giving them here between this queen who comes from a great distance just to hear Solomon and they wanted to condemn him. Unbelief just makes excuses. Unbelief makes no effort to search out truth. Then in verse 43, we have a parable. Jesus gives a parable that defines and drives home this point of the seriousness of unbelief. <clears throat> when an unclean spirit goes out of a man, he goes through dry places seeking rest and finds none. Then he says, I will return to my house from which I came. And when he comes, he finds it empty, swept, and put in order. Then he goes and takes with him seven other spirits more wicked than himself, and they enter and dwell there. And the last state of that man is worse than the first. Show up, so shall it also be with this generation. So what does this story have to do with this passage? <clears throat> All at once he starts, about, starts talking about demon possession and about what happens when a demon gets cast out of a man. He then makes the connecting statement where he says, this is how it will be with this generation, the house of Israel. I believe in the story he is likening Israel to the man who has been cleansed of a demonic presence who has been made clean but is still unoccupied. So the demon is able to come back and reoccupy that vessel. If we are filled with Jesus, being born again of the Spirit, by the Spirit of God, then we cannot be empty and therefore inhabited by demons. The key is of Jesus Christ. Idolatry had taken a hold of the nation of Israel during the time of judges and the kings that God eventually expelled them from the land. The Bible tells us that God allowed the Nebuchadnezzar, excuse me, he allowed the Babylonian army when Nebuchadnezzar was king of Babylon to invade the area of Judah, which is Jerusalem. They destroyed the city to take the people off to the Babylonian Empire where they were in exile for 70 years before they finally came back to their homeland. Then in the books of Ezra and Nehemiah, we can read about their coming back to their homeland. And what it tells us about Israel is when they came back, they were changed. The spirit of idolatry was temporarily gone. Then they truly began to worship the Lord, their God, once again. Like a man who had a demon, they were delivered from a demonic presence. But they were then unoccupied. They refused to accept the, the Messiah who was sent. To. Instead, they decided to rely on the religious rules, their rituals, and their traditions their traditions were more important than the Word of God. 
We're then in a greater position of unbelief. Jesus says they will be worse off at the end than at the beginning. It emphasizes how serious this condition of unbelief is. Only by inviting Christ to be the center, to be the honored guest and head of the home, could Israel know the full blessing of God. The Bible talks about the seriousness of unbelief. Hebrews 11.6 says, But without faith it is impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. With unbelief it is impossible to please God. Because anyone who comes to him must first believe that he exists and that he is a rewarder of those who earnestly seek him to know him. Unbelief has no desire to know him, to come to him. There is no way that they can please him. Unbelief is a choice. We also see in the scriptures why. Acts 14, verses 1 and 2, says, Now it happened in Iconium that they, and they are Paul and Barnabas, went together to the synagogue of the Jews, and so spoke that a great multitude, both of the Jews and of the Greeks, believed. But the unbelieving Jews stirred up the Gentiles and poisoned their minds against the brethren. It wasn't that they couldn't believe, but that they refused to believe. They didn't want to believe. John 3.16 For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believe believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world but that the world through him might be saved. He who believes in him is not condemned but he who does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. And this is the condemnation, that the light has come into the world and men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. If I put my faith in Jesus, it is, it will change the way that I live. Light exposes. It says men love darkness because their deeds were evil. They're not interested in making a change because they don't want to expose their sin. Their deeds were evil. Verse 46 in the following verses, we have the concluding verses, but they do have a connection. It says, while he was still talking to the multitudes, behold, his mother and brothers stood outside seeking to speak with him. Then one said to, then one said to him, look, your mother and your brothers are standing outside, seeking to speak with you. But he answered and said to the one who told him, Who is my mother and who are my brothers? stretched out his hand toward his disciples and said, Here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. So what is this all about? What is this telling us? The Jews prided themselves in being the children of Abraham. And by that, they considered themselves to be the family of God. We are the children of God. Jesus needed to make an important point. He is saying, look, 
You really need to know who the family of God is. It's not the people who have been born of Abraham. It's not people who have been born into a Christian home. Being born into a Christian home does not make you a Christian. The Bible tells us to all who receive him, to those who believe in his name, to them he gave the right to become the children of God. He is saying those who do the will of my Father in heaven, those who have that connection, they are my family. That is the point Jesus is making here. To distance himself from the mentality of the Jews who thought they were okay. Even though they lived in unbelief as it concerned the will and purpose of God. It says, for whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. These beloved ones who do the will of God stand in contrast to the evil and adulterous generation represented by the Pharisees. So in closing, the Apostle Paul gives us another example of Abraham in the book of Romans. And may it be said of us as it was said of Abraham. Romans 4. Romans 4, verses 20 to 25. It says, He staggered not at the promise of God through unbelief to God, and being fully persuaded that what he had promised, he was able also to perform. And therefore it was imputed to him for righteousness. Now it was not written for his sake alone that it was imputed to him, but for us also, to whom it shall be imputed, if we believe on him that raised up Jesus our Lord from the dead, who was delivered for our offenses and was raised again for our justification. May the Lord bless each one. Shall we have a song?